I think it's my turn. <clears throat> Can you all hear me all right? I don't have a booming voice like Dr. Wheeler has. And uh, <clears throat> I usually look for signals in my audience. Usually, they're, if I'm not loud enough, they do this. If I'm too loud, they do this. Sometimes my wife does this when I'm speaking. I'm not sure what that means, but uh, <clears throat> anyway. Uh, I have to tell you, I, I am not a technically uh, savvy guy. And um, I have this smartphone that's a lot smarter than me. And it wasn't so smart this morning because I inputted Rocky Mount, right? Well, I just assume it would put in the default Rocky Mount. Well, it put in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. So I took a little bit of a detour. But fortunately, as I made that little detour, um, it, it, gave, it gave some suggestions for restaurants. Well, I don't want any of those. I have to get here. And I, I punched it, you know, to get rid of the, the ad. Anyway, I guess what it thought was I wanted to go to that restaurant. So I ended up in Burnt, burnt Chimney for breakfast this morning at the wrong place. And I, and I said my, this was my destination. Well, I got, this is not my destination, so Google Maps, you're wrong. And uh, anyway, I finally typed in 85 West Church Street. Okay, well, I ended up at the Episcopal Church. Well, they didn't want me up there. All right, I was not, I'm a Baptist professor, so I was in the wrong spot. And anyway, I got, I got on a panic uh, group email or texting and finally figured my way down here. Uh, but as I did, the, my map took me on the walking path through your city. Okay, and finally it gave me, it helped me out and it said, you're on a walking path route. Do you want to go on the driving path? I go, of course I do. So I've been looping around your town for all morning. I finally got here. Then I pulled up this morning in front of your church. Well, there, there was no, it was like just my car. I'm thinking, all right, I, I think this is the right church. I guess you all are parked back here, right? There must be a parking lot back here because there's nobody out front here. I have the best parking spot on the property. But anyway, uh, I'm, I'm just a little nervous about technology. I remember going to a church to speak, and, and usually I stay in a hotel, which is just more convenient for, you know, for people and for me. And, but they put me in a, a home, which is fine. So I stayed in this home. They said, you have your own bathroom, your own bedroom, that sort of thing. I said, that's cool. <clears throat> anyway, I go in the morning to clean up, right, take a shower. And uh, so I'm trying to get configured here in an oriented, you know, strange place. And I saw this dispenser on hanging, you know, and I thought, oh, it's one of those automatic, you know, shower things, you know, like soapy things. You know, you push it, and it, it soaps you down. So I hit it. I punched it. And it started spraying like a like a lawnmower, like not a lawnmower, like a lawn sprinkler. It was like, and I'm thinking, I, I got to get in this thing. I got to get it. You know, I got to. I'm moving around, and I finally get to where it's hitting me, and it's hitting me in the eye, and it's like, what is that? It's like, no, it was one of those automatic bathroom shower cleaner things. I, I was getting hit with ammonia in my eyes. It was like, ah. And people are freaking out, like banging on, are you okay, you know, Dr. V? And I was like, I'm fine, you know, and turn this off, you know, but I can't do that. I've got to do it myself. But anyway, um, so anyway, I've, I've got a new configuration here with uh, advancing my slides, see if it's going to work here. And, uh, okay, you guys got to push it, okay? I, <clears throat> there you go. There we go. I'm going to go back to see if this is working. And it's not, but that's okay. Just go back, go back one here. All right, let me. Uh, did I do that? No, I didn't. 
I'm trying to. Oh, this goes. This is going uh, weird here. <clears throat> all right, listen. I, listen. I know what you're thinking. All right, we have a guest speaker. Does he know when to stop speaking? Okay. I have been told you can speak as long as you want, but you guys leave at 12 noon. All right. So I, I, I know where I am. Right. I know where my friends are. Anyway. Uh, now the other thing. Let me say the other thing at Liberty. I, I I'm a professor there. I've been there for 15 years or 16 years, and. Um, I also do a thing down in Lynchburg called uh, Scaremare. Some of you may have been to it. I've uh, been doing it for years, and that's our outreach to a lot of students. And last year, we had 25,000 kids go through it, and we had about 3,000 decisions for Christ. And I know Dr. Wheeler's heart is evangelism, and so we kind of uh, connect on that at that level. And uh, so anyway, it's been a really good uh, experience being at Liberty. We actually moved down from uh, Canada, of all places, Alberta. Canada, and uh, <clears throat> so it's a whole lot warmer here than it is up where I live in Canada, where we lived in Canada for 19 years. We have three seasons in Canada, early winter, late winter, and next winter. All right, it's just, it's just miserably cold there. And uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about this morning is, you know, being a parent, uh, I, have, I have adult children, okay? Now, when you, when you have adult children, uh, People kind of look back, they look at your family. It's going too fast. Oh, I think I'm on now. I think this is working. Daniel, am I, am I good? Okay, I got it. All right, thanks. Well, I was going to go back. Can you make it go back? There you go. Yeah, we're going to have a fun service this morning, I can tell. <laughs> okay. There we go. All right. All right, I'm not touching anything. Anyway, one of the things that uh, we, we as uh, parents, you know, when people can look back to see how their kids have done, how their, what their kids have become, it really is a kind of a report card for you as a parent. I know my wife and I have worked really hard at trying to teach our kids things along the way. And, of course, you know, there are bumps in the road and things they may not, disagree, we, they may not agree with us as parents. And, uh, you know, there's always parenting styles that we kind of have to embrace and, and our kids have to embrace it. So we... I th- it's a, it's a compliment when people look at our kids and they go, you know, your kids turned out all right. I had the dean of our school say that to me. He goes, you know, your kids turned out all right. And that was a very, that's, a, that's a big compliment when you hear that from somebody else. And uh, these are our three kids here when they were little. And uh, this is what they look like now. There. This is, their, this is my, what I call my Christian rock worship band song or band uh, picture. And uh, Jonathan on the left, my daughter Vanessa, and my, my oldest on the right, Josh. And uh, this is my uh, oldest, Josh. He is living in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, what, he is, what he has done for our country, he actually served three tours uh, in a, the Middle East. And uh, he was always outside the wire when he was on, on a, uh, he was infantry. And uh, we were crazy proud of him, but we're also deathly afraid of him as far as what he was going into, and two times in Iraq and once in Afghanistan, and, and uh, believe me, that'll keep, you, that'll keep you on your knees praying for your kid, and uh, those of you who have military who've been over there who may still be there, you know it's a very sobering reality to have them over there, and I remember the one time technology actually worked for me once, and he actually Facebooked me. It was a video, a video Facebook notification, and we got on. We were talking face to face, you know, while he was in. I think he was in Afghanistan at the time, <clears throat> and we were able to go to one of his re- returns, 
uh, out of uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. If you've ever, ever seen them on television, the reunions when all the families get together. I wanted to be at one of those, and, I, and I, we were with his. Very emotional time uh, to see him come back, and uh, we're just crazy proud of him. And I think it, there we go. Uh, if you can figure out which one my, uh, my son is, he's the, the tallest one in the middle there. And don't ask me where the height came from, all right? It skipped me, obviously. But uh, anyway, uh, his, goal, his goal was to bring back all his men on each tour, all back in alive and in one piece, and all of their military assets. And he was able to do that with all three tours. He was a captain, and... Uh, he, he told me he was given like $23 million worth of assets to, to be what he was responsible for. And I know him. He can't even balance his own checkbook, you know. And they gave him that kind of responsibility. But we're proud of him, and uh, he's still in reserves. My daughter is right there in the middle there, and those are her four daughters, and we just absolutely adore them. Her husband is a pastor in Denver, Colorado, which we enjoy going to visit them in Denver, Colorado. Rocky Mountain Christian Church, great name for a church, and uh, uh, we just uh, adore their, their family, and he's been there for a few years now as the lead pastor, and uh, that's pretty good, being a pastor's wife, and uh, I guess I have to do this. Uh, she's also a, obviously from Denver, she's a Bronco fan, so she conned me into going to a, a Denver Bronco practice, and there were 40,000 people who showed up for a practice. That's how psycho they are about football. And while we were there, we actually got uh, Peyton Manning's uh, autograph. It was a fluke. And my, the night before, we were actually talking about Peyton Manning. Uh, you know, I don't know how you're ever going to get his, his, his signature. You're probably going to have an autograph. You're probably going to have to buy a, you know, a $1,000 jersey or a $500 you know, helmet or something. And we get it the next day for free. All right, he signed my hat. I didn't come prepared to do any of that. And he was walking down, and we were the last ones he signed, thing he signed, and he went on to get dressed. And all I had was my hat. I go, give him this. So she gives him my hat, my hat. And he's, he signs, so now she owns my hat. And it's enshrined uh, in her house. So anyway, so she's, uh, love her. And uh, this is my uh, youngest son. And uh, they, these are his three daughters. They actually were just with us the last three days since Wednesday. They're three, two, and one. I haven't had sleep since Wednesday. Okay? I'm a little cranky right now. And uh, anyway, so we, you know, again, that's where all our money goes, these kids, these granddaughters, and uh, one grandson. And, uh, but this is, this is my alias son, all right? This is Jonathan. Uh, he's also special forces, and there's actually a Gideon connection here. Uh, when he went into the military, he, he told me he'd go as far as he could with the, with the, uh, the process. And if he hit a roadblock, he would, he would stop. And we were nervous about the whole thing, and, and we thought the roadblock would be the, because of the fact he was born in Canada. But he has two American parents, so that actually trumped that. So he was able to go through the process, and he wanted to be Green Beret Special Forces. That was the only thing he wanted to do. He goes to sign his contract. And the lady at the, at the computer desk, she said, sit down, you know, I'll, I'll, come, I'll get you in, in a minute. So as he goes to sit down, he grabs what he thought was a manual of some sort, a tech manual. Now, who, who reads tech manuals, okay? Not me. And anyway, he grabs the manual, and he sits down, and he starts to read it. It happens to be a Gideon Bible. Now, he is familiar with the Bible, but he just thought it was unusual that there was one in this military base. 
And he grabs and he goes, well, I have some time to kill. Maybe God's trying to tell me something. He opens it up and he reads in a passage in Psalms. And the, the Psalms, I think, was 64, 65, where it talks about the Lord liberates those who are oppressed. So he thought that, you know, that was, that was good. God was encouraging him, you know. And he goes, he's called up, and the lady says, I have a contract coming up the system. It's for reconnaissance, or recon, as they say. And he's like, that's cool, but I, I don't want to do recon. And as he's standing there, the lady goes, wait a minute, there's another contract coming up the system. It's a SF or Special Forces contract. He signs it on the spot. And we went to his graduation. Now, to get to his graduation is an incredibly arduous task. In fact, he had to repeat it because he didn't get enough push-ups on the last day of his training. He didn't do enough push-ups. He did, he did what he thought were enough push-ups. The guy counting did not count out loud. So he thought what he, he thought he had done is 64 push-ups, and the, they go, no, you only did like 40-something. And they said, this is going to suck really bad, but to get to the special forces, you're going to have to repeat all this. And he did the same weekend. And so when we went to graduation, this was an emotional time for us as parents. Of course, the place was packed. And as I'm looking on the wall, there is this huge banner on the wall, and it has the motto of special forces, De Libra oppresso, to liberate the oppressed. I was like, this is a God thing. And it was confirmed through a Gideon Bible. And I thought, this is amazing. This is, just a, this is a God thing. So we have felt good about his decision to be in the military and to be special forces. He leaves, he leaves in three weeks, actually. We're not sure where. He won't tell me. This is the first time he's never told me where he's going. This is his fourth deployment. And he hasn't told me where he's going. So that means it's serious. And uh, if he did tell me, he'd have to kill me, so I don't want that to happen. Nor does he, as far as I know. And uh, he's six foot seven, and my advice to him is always to keep your head down. Always keep your head down. Anyway, so these are my kids, and uh, we're just crazy proud of them. This is our crew here. This is actually part of our crew. And uh, we have uh, eight granddaughters and one grandson. You know how many times I've played with Barbie dolls? Okay. I am so sick of Bob the Train videos right now, okay? I'm just sick of it. All right, anyway, so this is my, I have my own personal homeland security team, and so I, if I ever get in trouble, it's, they are one text away, all right? They are locked and loaded, okay? So uh, anyway, we're just proud of our guys and our family and uh, what they have uh, become. Uh, let me read you a passage of Scripture. Because of what our kids have grown up to be, and as they grew up, they actually taught us as parents a few things as well. So let me read you this passage of Scripture here. I'll throw it up here. I think it's just the... Uh... It says, And he, caught, he called a little child and had him stand among them. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But then there's the bad news. If you don't do this, Jesus gets pretty harsh here. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone or a rock 
hung around his neck, and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now that's a pretty harsh indictment. Jesus obviously takes this very seriously. Our little ones, our young ones. That's why I'm in student ministry. I take youth ministry seriously. I, I don't think they are the future church. I think they are a church now. And what an incredible opportunity we have in this very small window of time to present faith in Christ to teenagers and to children. It's so important. Anyway, my kids have taught me a few things along the way. Number one, they have taught me total immersion. They have the ability to put themselves completely into something. Now, if you've traveled with little kids, you know what it's like when you stop and go and spend the night in a hotel, right? What is the number one requirement of a hotel? A pool. It's not running water, okay? It's not a lock on your door, nor is it even mattresses. It is a pool. You must, it must have a pool. So we found a hotel that had a pool. We usually do. And these kids, they get so jacked up. And there's no way you will ever, ever calm them down. All right? They must, they're, they're ready to go in face first, clothes on, don't know how to swim as long as there's a pool. Well, as soon as you get to the door, what do those kids do? They're fighting over the door. Like, you know, and I'm fighting my way through with the key. We don't need a key. And they're trying to get the door open. Finally, I get the door open. And they put them, they immerse themselves into this room for some reason. They start doing things to the beds that you would never do at home. What do they turn the beds into? Trampolines. All right? So they're jumping up like this, you know, and you're trying to, you know, catch them in the air. And, and then they get creative. They're doing this, and then they get synchronized, and then they're doing this. They're, they're just being really just into this. It's like they've never seen a sink. Dad, it's a sink. Shh. It's a sink. There's a TV. It's a TV. But they just get immersed into this thing called a hotel room. Now, when I think of the application for us is this. Let me read you a passage of Scripture. It says, and whatever you do, that's Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And then verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Now here's what I tell students, and sometimes you kids probably have heard this before. What are you going to be when you grow up? That's a big question. That's a loaded question. Okay, You know what the Bible's answer is? Probably a word you've used before, maybe not in this context. But what is the answer from the Bible? It doesn't matter. It's whatever. Kids use that word a lot, whatever. Okay? The scripture uses the word whatever. It doesn't matter what you choose to do. But whatever you choose to do, then we need to do it, whether in word or deed, we need to do it as if we we're doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Catch this. Jesus actually tells us, or the Apostle Paul tells us, that whoever we're working for, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if you were working for the Lord. You know what he's inverted here? Who our boss is. Now, some of you may have a great boss. I don't know if you can have a great, the best boss like Jesus, though. You know, if Jesus is our boss, my guess is we probably want to be pretty good employees. And Colossians says, no, no, Jesus is your boss. God is your boss. 
And if he's your boss, then we need to be incredible employees for him. That just changes our perspective. You go, well, I'm in a job. I don't like it. You know, I don't like my boss. But wait a minute. The scripture says, but whatever you are doing, work at it with all your heart. Put your heart into this. Put enthusiasm into this. Put energy into this. Why? Because God is your boss. And when God's our boss, we need to be really good employees, don't we? And if we're good employees, we actually will be good witnesses for those around us. We work hard. We work all the way when we're supposed to. You know, we look after the company. We, we want to do what's best for the, 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 the employer and the best for the company. We want to do all those things that makes us good. We want to be good examples of being a good employee. Not necessarily because who we work for or the company that we work for or the business that we work for, but because God is our boss. That changes the perspective a little bit, doesn't it? But my kids have taught me this ability to, to totally immerse ourselves into whatever we are doing. Give it 100%. They've also told me, they've taught me total concentration. Uh, we were on a trip. I don't recommend this as a family. We actually drove as a family, took a vacation, a, a vacation with a, a small V, all right, because we left Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. If you, if you know where that is, that's actually six, seven hours north of Great Falls, Montana. Okay, like that's really way north, okay? And we, there was a family reunion in, in Daytona Beach, Florida. Now, I'd like to say we flew, but we did not fly. Okay, I couldn't afford it. Okay, I had three kids, you know, and my wife and I. So we decided to drive to get to this family reunion. You know, not one of my top five fun things to do, but I went along, you know. And uh, anyway, so we go there, and, and I, we, we, this is the month of August. We are in a, a Volkswagen. Do you know what a rabbit is? Okay, some of you know what a Volkswagen. That's what we had, a Volkswagen, you know, a square box with a motor on it. Okay. Uh, anyway, with no air conditioning, all right? I would be a millionaire if I got a buck every time my kids ask me that proverbial question, are we there yet? I'd be a wealthy guy. When we finally get there, now I have to, let me, let me explain something here. When we were in Canada, in our city, pedestrians have the right of way. Okay, it's not like down here in the States. States, you guys run people over, like... With abandonment, you don't care. But in Canada, we look after our pedestrians. Now, you go, what are you talking about? Well, you can actually step off of an interstate curb. And cars will slow down and stop and let you cross. Because you're a pedestrian. We don't need, we don't need flashing things. We don't need the little flag lady or whatever you, she has down here. We don't need that. We don't need lights, we don't need markers, you know, where you kind of, you know, feel your way along the path. You know, it's all color-coded. We don't, no, no, it, it's no matter where a kid, no, it was, it was, it's kind of cute. Because we'd see these little kids going to school, they would just cross whenever they wanted to cross. And they would put their hand out like they were a little stop sign. So they'd do this. And cars would stop, nobody's beeping, nobody's angry, you know, Canadians don't get angry about anything anyway. But anyway, they'd all slow down and stop, you know, Canadians are very nice. And anyway, and they would let the kid, and the kid walks across the, you know, the street holding his little hand out. And I thought that's kind of cute, you know. And so we get to Daytona Beach, right? We get to Daytona Beach, 
And we're driving along this two-lane, four-lane road, and I'm here, and there's this big truck here. And I see this little, cute little uh, African-American girl on the curb up here. And she's just really tiny. She had a little toy in her hand, you know. And I'm thinking, all right, you know, like, it's not a crosswalk here. And I think she's going to step off the curb. And sure enough, she does. She steps off the curb, just unannounced. And the truck, and I'm like looking at the truck thinking, I hope he sees this little tiny girl. And he does, and he slows down to stop. And the little girl just kind of toodles across in front, in front of him and then in front of me. And I'm thinking, there's no markings here, you know, there's no, she's just wandering. And then she crosses the median. I'm thinking, there's a curve there, and people aren't going to see this little girl. I'd better go grab her and scoop her up. Well, anyway, I park, put my car, my car in park, and I jumped out of the, my car. People are already annoyed. What's the, you know, they're already beeping. They're like, chill out, Okay. Anyway, I go run over to scoop this little girl up, and a pickup truck is coming around the curve. And he's coming around, and I, got, I put my hand up, and he locks her brakes, and he stops, you know, and then I scoop up this little girl. And I'm going, honey, what are you doing out here? And she's looking up as if, as if, if, as if to say, what does this white man want with me anyway, you know? <laughs> and so I, I take her over, you know, where she had wandered off the, the sidewalk. And as I'm going over, it was cool. You know, we just got to Daytona, and all of a sudden, all these car, police cars are pulling up. Like, I mean, light siren, it is on. I think that's cool. We're in the middle of a drug bust. We are seeing it go down as we speak, you know. And then I begin to put two and two together. They think I am kidnapping this little girl. And they're stopping her, jumping out of their cars, and they're running at me. And this one guy pulls his club, and he's running at me. And I start running faster, like, no. And he asked me a really stupid question. Is that your baby? <coughs> I go look at her. Is there any resemblance? Do you see any resemblance here? No. Anyway, we eventually found the mother. The police did, all right? And they, she was in the laundromat, and they gave her the what for. And uh, everybody was re reunited, and I was not, you know, uh, taken in jail as an illegal immigrant. But anyway... Uh, so they've taught me total concentration. Here's a verse here. James 1.8 says, He is a double-minded man, unstable in all that he does. Now here's the, print, here's the application. We are not double-minded in our culture. We are triple-minded. We are quadruple-minded. And the scripture says we need to dial this in. Now, I know some of you ladies go, I can multitask. Okay, you think you can. All right, you think you can. Science says there's no such thing. You actually move from one project to another really fast, but you can't do it all at one time. Okay? Anyway, I know we can have that debate later. But regardless, I think the application for us is that we need to dial in and focus when we need to to get things accomplished because when we start doing this and doing that, then nothing gets its just due attention. And I think God is asking us the same thing in our relationship with Him. There are times where we need to just shut this thing down and focus on Him. There's so many things to be distracted with, isn't there? It is hard to do this. In our age of technology, it is hard to do this. We actually challenge our students to take technology fast. Oh, I can go 30 minutes. You go. You know, thinking a little longer than 30 minutes, you know. But no, we, we have to be able to focus on Him. My kids have also taught me uh, new perspectives. Uh, for my 
vantage point in my life, okay? My, when my kids were younger, they actually looked forward to birthdays. I don't look forward to birthdays anymore. I'm taking birthday control pills. They are not working. <laughs> Nothing is working. My kids would look forward to birthdays. They would plan them a year in advance. Yeah, that was a crappy present. Don't ask that kid. Kid, you know, you know they would. It's like, you know, my daughter when she was little, she came home from school, and she says, uh, "I like Billy." Who's Billy? He's my boyfriend at school. Now she's like second grade. Okay, why do you like Billy? Because Billy eats his erasers. Well, I think Billy's a dork. I don't want him coming to my house. Don't bring Billy home. Broke her heart. She just, she just look at things differently, little kids do, don't they? From my vantage point, as I look back, and this for some of you, you can relate to this. As I look backwards, I, can, I realize that life actually is incredibly short. Now, that does not compute if you're 21 and under. That doesn't even register. Okay? But from my vantage point, life is incredibly short. As I look ahead... I actually realize and come to the realization that life is incredibly uncertain. I've come to the conclusion that even my best plans, my very best plans, can be changed by God. But as I look to the present, for me, life is incredibly challenging and fulfilling. My life versus John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came that you might have life, that it might be abundant, that it might be full and meaningful. I have found that teenagers aren't necessarily interested in the message of dying, even though we have to deal with that. They're actually in in interested in a message of living. Proverbs 5.21, for a man's ways are in full view of the Lord. He examines all his paths. Go back real quick here. I think I jumped one. Sorry, I gotta go back. There we go. My kids have also taught me total honesty and expression. Aren't kids painfully honest with us? Painfully honest. I'd be having a special moment with my kids when they were little, you know, we were gonna get me to pray or something. I'd be looking up my nose and going, ah, oh, Dad. You need a Kleenex, Dad. I'm trying to be serious here. I'm trying to pray to God here. Uh, Dad? Uh, your breath is bad, Dad. Come on. And you know what? I kind of giggle at that, you know, and we giggle at that. And I think God, is, he giggles along with us when our kids, you know, pray about things and talk about things and how honest they are. And I was actually in a class, a graduate class, where one of our students actually suggested that when we worship God, maybe there needs to be times of complaining. I go, what? Complaining? He goes, well, there is a Bible book called Lamentations, where someone lamented. I never thought about that. Now, I'm not advocating that we have a time of complaining next Sunday morning. Okay? But it's a whole, and of course, if you go through Proverbs, you'll see a lot, or Psalms, you'll see where David actually complained about a lot of things. And God is okay with that. We can be honest with him. That's all he wants from us, is to be totally honest with him. All right, let me uh, throw one, up, one more up here. It's my last point. My kids have taught me an ability to bounce back. 
Um, <clears throat> one time we were watching the Olympics on television, and our youngest at the time, uh, or he was still our youngest at the time, but still youngest, but he was a little kid, and he was watching what we were watching. It was the high hurdles. You know how little kids like to mimic what they're watching? So we're ignoring him because we want to watch the high, you know, high hurdle thing. And so, they're, you know, and he decides to get our attention. So he starts pulling off all the pillows on our couches, all the blankets and things, and he has this big pile of soft things. That's cute, you know, he's going to do a, you know, a crowd surf thing. No, he decides, he starts backing up, you know, he's just, you know, he's just little legs, you know, he starts backing up, you know, and we're ignoring him. It's like, okay, Dad, here I go, Dad, here I go. I said, go, go. All right, and he's getting all his courage up, because this was a pretty high pile of soft things, okay? All right, here I go, and finally he starts pedaling as fast as he can, you know, in our, our big, huge living room, you know, all about 10 by 12, and he's just running, and he jumps up. He is parallel to the floor, okay? Missing the entire pile of soft things. Lands on the other side, and he lands on his elbow, and there's this pop sound. It's awful. You know how your parents say, kids, you know your parents say, when you, I feel your pain. When you hurt, I hurt. That's true. Because as soon as we heard that pop, my wife and I look at each other, we go, ah, ah, you know. Well, anyway, for, as a parent, I want to, you know, I want to comfort my kid, right? Why do they run away from us? I want to help you. I want to love you. I want to embrace you. So he, I'm crying, no. No, you did this. I mean, he was just all over the place. I finally grabbed him, right? I finally grabbed him, and I, you know, it was dinner time, right? So I took him to the dinner table, and, it, and his arm just did this. It was like nothing is going on. He's like a wounded bird, and he's still whimpering, you know? So I go, all right, I'll go to the emergency room. I know that sounds extremely insensitive, Father. Have you ever been to an emergency room where they were in a hurry? They're never in a hurry. Okay, you can have your arm in your bag. They're still not in a hurry. Okay, I'm going to spend several hours being there. I had one prayer. So, Lord, I would like a lady doctor. I want a maternal-type lady, you know. I don't want some paternal dude coming in. Ah, shake it off, you know. And, you know, I want somebody who's going to look after my kid. <clears throat> well, I, the Lord said yes to that prayer. And the lady doctor came in, and they had, they had done x-rays, and they, they had sedated him because he was hurting. And uh, she goes, uh, yeah, his, his elbow is popped out of joint. I go, so what are we going to do? She goes, well, I'm going to pop it back into joint. Uh, I go, all right, you know. So I'm kind of embracing, like, like I'm going to get hurt, right? So, you know, I'm getting braced for this. Anyway, she starts feeling up his arm. She's doing this number, and I'm feeling his pain again, okay? She's working up, and I'm going... And then she starts, you know, she's poking around here, you know, and she's, and he wakes up and he starts crying, all right? And then she, she does, she turns into like a ninja doctor. She goes, oh, and she, her hands are like in this karate chop position, and she puts it right here, and then she snaps it back into joint. Pop sound. He wakes up. Oh, I look at the, the lady doctor. Ah. Anyway, she goes, He'll settle down, you know, take him, you can take him home tonight, which I did. Three days later, Dad, watch Dad. Here I go, Dad. 
I go, you do, and I'll break your arm, all right? No, I didn't say that. That was harsh. What is it with the little kids? They go back to the very thing that hurt. Have you ever seen a kid with a tool of the hammer? Pop! Put it down. No! Pop! They do it again. It's like, it's a hammer. We had a rule in our family. When our kids were little, we'd always kiss the boo-boo. Okay? I mean, whatever it was, we'd kiss it, they'd feel better. One time my daughter, she was little, and she jumped off a swing set. She landed right on her rear end, crying. Oh! She comes running over to me. Dad, would you? No. <laughs> Go see your mother. <laughs> they have this unbelievable ability to bounce back. Let me read you a passage of Scripture, and I'll be done. First, King, First Kings chapter 18, verse 30. This is an incredible story, dramatic story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. But there's this one passage, a little bit of a phrase here that we sometimes overlook, and it says, Elijah said to all the people, come here to me, and watch what it says here. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. He repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. I think our mission, maybe even this week, is to be sensitive to those around us who may have damaged altars in their lives. And all they need is someone to come alongside them, befriend them, be engaged in their lives, and maybe help repair a damaged altar in their life. It might be a relationship with someone. It might be a relationship with God with a church congregation, whatever. But all they need is someone to come along with a hammer and some nails and help rebuild that altar. And I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus is in the altar repairing business. You go, you know, I, I can't really, I don't really have a name or a face coming up when you say this, but I do. I have a damaged altar in my life. God can repair that today. God says that if we, for, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and all of our unrighteousness. That's his promise to us. Jesus forgave our past, our present, and our future sins. He is in the altar repairing business today. Would you bow with me in prayer for a moment? And as I'm bowed in prayer, if the, Daniel and his worship team will come up. They're going to lead us in a final song. But as we're bowed in prayer this morning, maybe as we talked about someone with a damaged altar, a face or name came to mind. Hey, maybe that's an indicator right there. Maybe that is a Holy Spirit indication of what your mission is this week. And if you're here today and you go, no, it's, it's me. I, I have a damaged altar in my life. Jesus is just a prayer away. He is a prayer away. If you're here today, and I know Dr. Wheeler's heart is outreach and evangelism. If you're here and for whatever reason you haven't made that decision to make Christ the Savior and Lord of your life, what a, what a better time than this morning. We're not promised tomorrow. And we just need to acknowledge that we have this spiritual damaged altar in our life and Jesus can repair that altar.
altar. I hope my kids have taught you a few things of total immersion, total honesty, ability to bounce back. I hope their lives will help your life. Lord, we're grateful for your patience, grateful for your love for us. Lord, we pray that you would speak to each heart who is here this morning. May our discussion, our talk, go beyond just a good sermon or a few laughs, but would actually nudge us, will prompt us in some way. Lord, for those who have a name or a face right now that you have brought to their attention, Lord, that you would, uh, you would arrange those connections. We pray for those who say, no, it's, it's me. I, I have a damaged altar in my life. But Father, you'd give them the courage, the impetus to come to you, confessing everything, expecting nothing, but knowing you answer all of our prayers and you are quick to respond. In Jesus' name I pray.